Before you knew it, Kendrick was wearing our logo tee when he won his first BET award. That's our huge. logo tee. And then he loved our pants and Schoolboy Q was wearing us too. And then um, Dan became great friends with Chip. So then the Chicago Connect was another yeah. thing. That was Welcome back to another episode of Defiant Talk. It's your host here, Sid, and my co-host and business partner, Jamie. We've got Richard Penny in today. How are you, mate? I'm really well, boys. Thanks so much for having me. So for those uh, that might not be familiar with Richard, he's actually uh, an experienced marketer, uh, creative director, and uh, co-founder of brand management agency, No Standing. Um, Richard's also been involved in some major global brands that we all know and love. Uh, Zane Robe, Barney Cools, and Hard Fizz, uh, to name a, a few. So, yeah. It's pretty little strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a strong entry. That's a yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, I've never really read him off a bit of paper like that. You know, you don't really make resumes these days or that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's cool. That's pretty exciting. Awesome, man. So, tell us uh, a little bit about your early life growing up. Did you know you wanted to be a creative? Yeah, look, I think um, uh, from, from an early age, I was… I was, a, I was a person that wanted to be around people and a, a diverse range of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mum would always laugh at me because she wouldn't know where I was in the street. And I was an only child until I was about, I think, yeah, my first brother was born when I was seven. So obviously, naturally, you go find kids to play with and there were older kids in the street, younger kids in the street. But mum just knew. We were, grew up in a little, um, a nice little tight community in Epping in the northern suburbs of Sydney. Um, so I guess from that Early on, my mum used to say, I knew you were destined to be in a role working with lots of different people and, and in a broad range of different things. So I naturally um, got into retail after because um, I, I felt I had a reasonable chat. And I guess like I found <laughs> that um, I found that retail was good because I could just talk to people all day and I wouldn't get in trouble for not selling because I was like building rapport with them. So mm-hmm. like certain managers saw my angle and they're like, look, there's plenty of different ways to sell a t-shirt. Um, but uh, the guys that uh, I worked at a little surf store at Eastwood, and then uh, and then I ended up with a job at General Pants, a lot of the stomping ground for a lot of crew um, yeah. in Australia for their for the next steps. And then I got a job in marketing from those guys, and then uh, and then natural that was the natural uh, progression there. So, so, so what did that progression actually look like? How did you jump from retail to working into the head office? Yeah. So what happened was um, it was a bit different back then. So the the I worked at Macquarie Centre in North. Um, and I, then I was, I got in typical fashion to me, I got bored and I said to my area manager, Hey, I want to be a casual for all these stores. You call me up, I'll go to any store you want, but I don't want to book me in for shifts. I'll come in hungover. I promise I'm work better when I'm hungover. And we were going through an age where that was a full thing. Um, so, you know, getting, and, and I was on the train at that time, you know, I wasn't driving a car. We we're just getting around anywhere on the train line. I said, okay, I could go to Hornsby, Burwood. I can get to Macquarie Center. You know, I can go to the city even if you yeah. need me so in her mind she's like what's this guy's plan and he's like to, <laughs> i was just wanting to meet people you know because yeah. i was like you go out in the burbs you got your own little connect so i met 
everyone at all these stores. Then we started going to parties and stuff and, and going through at General Pants. And you start to know a few more people. Naturally, I wanted to meet the person that ran, ran marketing and stuff because, you know, back then as well, marketing was definitely more of a sexier, um, you know, um, career that it looked good from the outside anyway. And and I didn't know, but like I just – what I did know was I loved being around and meeting new people. So – then my mate, Heath Mawson, who's actually now one of the owners of Peopleverse. Mm-hmm. Um, within our crew, there's a lot of, lot of um, brand owners and whatnot. But he was working on reception and at General Pants. And he said to me one day, he goes, hey, um, we need a fill-in. Um, you don't need to apply, just come in. And I was like, what do I do? He goes, you just got to answer the phones. He goes, you can talk. So he goes, you know, and that this was just like general prance group. This is rich. And that's what I did all day. <laughs> then once I kind of got cottoned on about what I really had to do, then it was making coffees and stuff. And then you start meeting all the brands. And then, you know, the owner of one of the top dogs from the general manager of, uh, of the US, Levi's. So from the, he- from the head of headquarters in, uh, in the US comes along and he goes, hey, he goes, um, can I get a coffee? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not up to this stage yet. <laughs> and about, I was like, I'm just going to wing this. So I went in there and I was, there was no YouTube. I couldn't work out how to do it. No one's in the office because I'm kind of like filling in. So he's there kind of meet someone. And I'm like panicking. Anyway, I made the worst coffee ever. And I'm watching him drink it. I go, it's good? Yeah. And he was like, anyway, look, so. That was the – so once I got in there and I told a few stories and I was being myself, um, I said to the guys, hey, the next step I want to do is work in marketing. They said to me, hey, why don't you try and see if you could find some TAFE courses with some prerequisites of having a role that you could use. We can give you projects that you can use for assignments. I did that for a year and then uh, then I ended up taking a job in SDS. Uh, the Surf Island Ski at the time was owned by General Pants. And the surf industry was popping off. So I was like, oh, look, I'm, I grew up as a skateboarder, so that makes sense. I get it still. Um, and then, yeah, I took, took that role in, in, uh, in uh, uh, marketing in SDS. Awesome. Love, love that backstory, yeah. man. Yeah. How did you go from SDS to Zainrobe then? Yeah. How was- so back at, during those times, so part of that role at SDS was I was the team manager. So mm-hmm. I looked after all of our surfers. So uh, I know our surfers and skateboarders. So I became really good friends with Corbin Harris. I became good friends with Luke Steadman, all of these um, all these pro surfers and these, these people that I grew up, you know, looking up to, reading in magazines. And... During that stage, I started to meet a few more people within the industry and stuff. And then from meeting one athlete, you meet other athletes and stuff. And I ended up, um, but the circle was even closed again because another really good friend of mine, um, James Tessarero, who used to work for Urge Footwear, he's now the the GM um, of, of Australasia for Deus. Um, mm-hmm. I went to school with him. He, he went on a similar path working in sales and stuff more so. I was in marketing. But then he said to me, he's like, hey, come meet us. Um, over a manly for a drink and I met Leith Testoni, the owner of Zainrobe, and I was still very much in that kind of, you know, larrikin party stage. I wasn't, I wasn't super calculated when it came to going out. I just treated everyone normally. And I guess that's, Leith would tell me, he goes, that's why you got the job. He goes, mate, mm. to be fair, he goes, I didn't want someone that was going to suck up to me. I wanted to know exactly what you were like. Mm. And from meeting you the first time, I was like, man, this, this guy's, you know, got, got edge, you know, he's got energy. I think he could be a good salesman. Mm-hmm. But I'd never done sales. And then so he said to me, he's like, hey, um, I've got a job for you. It's um, I want you to run our sales. I'm like, dude, I'm a marketer. I'm not a salesman. He goes, mate, marketing is you're marketing for sales. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. 
I could be a salesman, you know. Yeah. And I guess there was a connotation to being a salesman in my head. I'm like, I'm not a car salesman. I'll go, mm. it's not my thing. Yeah. I know what's one naturally thought. But he was like, hey, I think you'd be really good at this. Here's the structure. Of, but I'll let you run your own show. He's like, I don't want, I don't want you to go in there. I want you to tell stories when it comes to like doing a sales appointment. Make it a bit of a fucking a bit, sorry, a bit of theater. Make <laughs> oh, it theater. Fuck, you okay, scream. sweet, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, make it fun. He goes, I'm fucking sick of of our sales appointments where these guys come in and go, oh, this t-shirt's in one. I go, this one it comes with a back print, a front print, you know. And like he's like, mate, he goes, your edge is your energy in your theater. He's like be yourself and whatnot. And he's like, look, I'll help you out with your organizational skills, which could need a bit of work. We'll help you out with this. You know, I'm a creative, so as, yeah. you, as you get it, but definitely I don't I don't feature in everything. Uh, I can't, um, I can't, look, I'm getting better with that kind of stuff, but as, as the career goes on, but yeah, back then it definitely wasn't up to scratch. He said, hey, we'll do this. And Zamaru was at a time when it had uh, just gone through a massive transition. You know, it was this, it was this amazing brand and it was an institutional brand, you know, growing up from within in our era with our dem demographic and our peers that had kind of come on so fast and, and was, you know, that was selling $80, $80 t-shirts, you know, $200 hoodies and stuff with these big, and it was this like kind of sport collegiate look. You naturally kind of ended up through their, their marketing and their, their network of circles. It was, it was seen as like a sports brand, you know, a sports fashion brand, and you know. how big was the team when you actually joined Zara? When When I joined, there was probably only, back then they downsized in Australia, there was probably only six of us in the office. Right. But it had gone through the spike. It had gone through the spike and it, they'd made some great bank, you know, they were the top brand in David Jones. And then it came off crashing really hard. You know, I guess it was, it was at that peak where, sport became kind of uncool. I remember a, a period of my life where like I'm a jock at heart and, and I'm, I'm not, not by all means, don't consider myself an athlete, but I love watching all sports and love participating in sports and and, uh, and and all the rest. But I remember a time that sport wasn't a really thing, like amongst maybe we were trying to pick up chicks and stuff and being, being interested in sport wasn't an edge, right? But the same kind of thing was, uh, the same thing had happened in amongst everything naturally, all of our ambassadors and the people who have influence associated with Zane Road were sports stars. So like when, you know, I don't want to mention names of crew and stuff and, and all the rest, but like one, you know, when Ben Cousins got busted for his last for debacle, big Zane Road t-shirt, all of a sudden what happens then when, when a mom with a young kid sees a Zane Road t-shirt after mm. she's seen it slapped on the front page of the paper for a drug issue and there's this guy wearing his, she's like, well, I'm not buying that brand for my mm. kids. So that yeah. was a really, really hard bit, you know, the, to deal with that kind of drop off and stuff and all these negative connotations with the brands. Mm. So um, at that stage, it was like they made a really clear decision that like we're going to change our direction. We're going to take a real step back. We got brought on a, a, a new young hungry designer by the name of Nat Torben. He's a very close friend of mine. And um, he was horrible to work with at the start. He was just used to come go out all night and um, he'll love he'll love this. He, back in the day when <laughs> Ivy opened, right? This is so good. I, 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 hope, I hope no one's heard this story before. <laughs> but he would go out all weekend, spend his whole paycheck over weekend at Ivy, straight to Lady Lux on a Sunday night. And then we'll come straight to the office at 5 a.m., get in there first and put on 
a, um, a live set from the weekend that someone had recorded and would just sit there at his desk doing this at work. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, who's this guy? And I just met him and, and, and all the rest and, and, that, and then I look at Lath like, oh, yeah, Nat, Nat's, um, Nat's just, that's the way he works. Let him do his thing. So he was, you know, Nat's, Nat's still going or, or Nat is, uh, Nat, Nat was just, that was, that was his kind of, his steam let off. His doing flow. Design. That was his flow and, mate, he was doing a good job so they weren't faulting him, you know. He's, there could have been the odd mistake over the years, which I won't mention. But as far <laughs> as it goes, he, um, he was such an amazing designer with his thought process and whatnot and he believed in my approach and I guess like a group, of lads all hanging out and we all hung out on the weekends and we were really into our house music and we weren't DJing back then, but we were like going out that naturally morphed into what Zane Robe started to become. So, so, so let, let's take it back a yeah. little bit. So you started Zen Robe as a sales, as sales guy. Yeah, so and I started in sales. And then you progress into? In more into a brand manager roles. Then by the end of it, I was the global brand director. So I did all of our international stuff. So I, I ended up working on all our global trade shows, selling the brand internationally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as, as such, Lath would say, you're the face of the business. You need to, so you've got to find the perfect medium of like professionalism to like out there yep. to give us the edge, you know? So that was, a that was, you know, naturally maturing over the years and stuff. I, I, I think I found that level quite well, um, but, as, a, um, as yeah. a brand director, how involved do you actually get with the design? Uh, look, it's 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 very it's a it's definitely a collective. Nat would be will give the vision, and then we would support. I would support it with, I suppose, what I could kind of see tweaking from other mm -hmm. brands because I was the front line. I was speaking to all the kids on the shop floor, um, and uh, yeah, so I'd be like asking them, "Hey, what's working? What are you seeing?" Yeah, it's and that whatnot. feedback so it's to that train feedback. Exactly. So naturally, look, I, I wouldn't, I wasn't the most fashion forward. Oh, I didn't have an eye to, to, to see forecast trends. But what I did know was kind of what was working in retail. So I could work with Nat to go, hey, let's tweak this design, make it look like this to make it a little bit more commercial. And then we'll, that's how we'll build out the collection. Yeah. So we actually saw on the Zaynero website, it was their 15th birthday retrospective. And um, Nat Torbman actually... Uh, attributes the success of Zane Robe 2.0 to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Why do you think that was? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So that was that, like um, Nat and I are really, really close, and over the yeah. years, face to face, geez, it's hard to get a compliment out of him. So that was really, <laughs> really nice man. to read that. You know, Shit, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. And look, it's and again, like the the whole Zane Rob journey was such was a really big impact in my life because I lived and breathed it. You know, like we're in that kind of role, you had to for us to get an edge, and where you got to remember, we had already had a peak and stuff. People had a preconception of the brand, so our job was then to go, hey, no, yes, that's our heritage. This is the new way forward. This is what we're doing and stuff and how we used to work on different kind of marketing ideas and stuff on how we could, you know, um, build this new kind of newfound um, edge to the brand. Um, but, yeah, so I guess I came on because I had a complete new strategy. When I came on, I looked at everything they were doing and go, what are we doing to marketing? And they show us, lay everything out. They go, we do this for PR, we use this agency and we use TaylorMade at the time and they were awesome. The girls are such legends yeah. and they're still very close friends of mine. Um, but at that time I said, I'm like, and I spoke with the girls too. I was like, hey, 
I'm, we're going to pull down the retainer on this snippet now. The only reason because we've only got X amount of money to spend on marketing. And my, the reason I'm saying is I go, we need product on body. And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, the Red Bull philosophy is can in hand. Ours is going to be product on body. So no matter what, I'm not going to finish the season with leftover T-shirts here that we're going to sell cheap to someone for 10 bucks. I'd rather give them out at the start of season. That will turn into more full-price sales and that's our marketing And campaign. also from a marketing standpoint, this is all pre-Instagram, right? Yes. Well, this is this is funny. Yeah. I remember we, we our office was actually before, close to you guys down here at Rosebury, was at Mossman out the back of Surfection on Military Road. So I grew up in Epping, yeah. so like I was very familiar with that yeah, surf right. shop and the owner, Julian's a fucking character man <laughs> geez he had some stories and some influence he would help us out and stock the brand in there and he gives a lot of feedback too but um i remember sitting out in the car park on hot days we'd we'd um carry a desk out in the car park and we'd work in the sun and get tan and whatnot and stuff because we're, we're a little unorthodox and um and nat goes to me hey um i've just heard of an article there's this new app coming out that apparently everyone in america is blowing up about it's called instagram I was like, no way. This is what, 2011, 2012? Yeah, 2011, 2012. And I was like, he goes, I've signed this up. I've got it. I can't get Zane Robe tagged though because some kid named Zane Robertson has got it. <laughs> and we're like, no way. What are we going to do? Anyway, so we just, um, we we got the Zane Robots tag and, and whatnot. So that's that was that story on Instagram. But yeah, all of this was pre-Instagram. So this was like, you can imagine to try and get a brand out there, the only way for us to create something different with that kind of the, those theatrics and whatnot was to be the loudest, you know, mm -hmm. and I guess like be associated with the right crew. So we had a couple of, a, a bit of luck with uh, with um, getting right on board with that, the, the elastic cuff with the jogger trend. Mm -hmm which naturally at the time lent itself to um, the sneaker trend because the joggers cuffed into the bottom and you could show your sneakers, wear them a whole bunch of different ways. So we, I remember the second, that, that those joggers were actually in the collection before I got there, right? So I got there and I was like, these are good, man. They were like, do you reckon? I'm like, I'll go, hey, there's something in this because I've seen this drop cutch thing move. But the difference was these these jogger pants were had like 3% stretch in them. So I was like, you can wear these everywhere. You could wear them on a plane. You could dance in them. You could actually dress them up with a collared shirt and still look quite smart with a pair mm. of leather sneakers, depending on the occasion. We wore in weddings heaps of times. But like, <laughs> I guess I was like, there's something in this. Nat tweaked them a little bit and added a gusset in and all the rest. And then, uh, and then from that point, we had a glue store product night. And I was like, we need to give out a pair to every kid in here. Every kid of glue is going to get a pair of these. And at the time there was a discussion, oh, you, we, we didn't account for that giving away that stock. So we're like, hey, we forecasted for these sales. We, we kind of need this. I'm like, too bad. I'm like, you get me more samples made and we're going to give one to every single kid. Mm -hmm. And we did it. And all of a sudden our our year on year sales in glue quadrupled for that particular week when we dropped the pant in and then it just went on and on and on from there. It's kind of like you tapped influencer marketing before. Before, it was like yeah, thing. yeah, totally. Yeah. So I guess it was it was that, you know, and, and our influences were those kids on the front line. And I mm. guess like back then- the I, Cooler kids, right? Yeah, and and so I get this, this goes back to the full circle of SDS and general pants. When a rep came into store, I gave that guy all the attention. You know, I'm like, tell me more. How do I get where you are? What are you doing? And all the rest. So I, 
And I was like, you know, so straight away. And when a rep gave you some attention, you remembered that. Mm. So the brands that did it the best, either one gave you a good product night, free product, or just said hello and remembered your name. I was like, I gave them attention. I sold their shirt over every other shirt in the yeah. shop, shop floor. That's what happens. Mm. You know, like there were times then, you know, when we go back in the glue store and these these groms, one of them, I can't remember their names, but I'm, I'm, if they're listening, I'm really sorry. You're all legends. <laughs> but they would say, hey, man, we've re-merchandised the whole store with Zane Rove. I was like, perfect. <laughs> Just don't tell them I told you to do that. <laughs> head officer then, you know. Um, the owners of Glue, you know, our, our one of our good friends, Aunt Elliot, who's also a very good friend, like, he goes, what have you done? You, you, you've brainwashed these kids, mate. Like <laughs> the whole store, Zane Rev, they only want to sell me Zane Rev. Then other brands were going in store. And, you know, Trav from Academy, a good friend of mine, he goes, mate, I went in store and I almost bought a pair of your pants <laughs> because this guy was so good and he said how good you guys were. What have you done? And then that was the start of it. Mm. Yeah. So it started to, to pop off from there and we really started to see some um, see some good wins. But quite funny, then it was, uh, it was in, an interesting time because I um, – Prior to that, in amongst everything, I'd done a year and a half of Zane Robe and then I broke up with a girlfriend and then I took a six-month sabbatical. So it was in that stage <laughs> where it was really heavy, right? So this was before the, the pan, the pan, the pan had already started, and then I left, and then it was, and then it popped off. But um, I was like, oh, I'm burnt, and and I did. I was burning the candle at both ends, and I was I was partying, and then the, the break, and all all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I knew at that stage this could be the last hurrah to go do something, and I was always into tours so I went and became a tour guide for the fanatics the sports tours and the cultural tours over in Europe <laughs> and over then I was having the best time and meeting people and I was still spruiking Zane Rogue because in the back of my mind I'm like they're gonna have me back because they need me you know and I was like not being arrogant I was just like I've got more to give there and they knew it too they kept in touch with me the whole time and America had started to go a little bit they'd moved over there so Laith moved to America to get some stuff going and then um I <laughs> I got back and he's like, I oh, got to America actually. He goes, come visit me on the way home. Change your flight. I'll pay for you. Oh, you know, I'll pay for any difference. So I go, no, it's fine. My flight's going back through there. So I went and caught up with Lathan. He goes, Rich, we're gonna, it's going to pop. The tipping point is very close. We've got the attention now. The strategy, we're going to roll out with your strategy. I want you back. What do we need to do? And I was like, like how, how did, he, did he actually determine that the brand was going to pop off? Was well, there like key players actually wearing the brand yeah the there States. was a lot of a lot of big athletes over there were starting to get into it like it, it, this was just before but there were a lot of because the pants were, uh, were slightly longer and they could fit dudes with big butts okay. there's a lot of big nfl athletes I and mean, nba athletes and stuff and stuff that are tall long-legged and that they're like hey these pants are the only pants that i can wear so we're starting to get some traction in certain stores and he's like hey it's gonna happen um just Give us some time. Let's discuss how we're going to get you back. I want you to be happy. You know, you know. Okay. So we kind of we we came up with the new role as brand manager at that stage after sales, and then it evolved into global brand director. But um, I it was the best thing I could have done because it gave me a full break. It gave me I got to travel. I got to again meet a ton of new people, which I love. And then um, I got back in the best mindset, and I was so focused. And that was kind of around the time when Nat goes to me, hey. I'm thinking of starting a new brand, a board short brand called Barney Cools. Nice. So that's where it kind of evolved into that and that's where it all started to um, unfold. really unfold, yeah. So then Perfect I got back segue. and then so 
Am I talking too much about this? No, no, no. Okay. Okay. This is epic. So then… More is more, mate. Okay. No <laughs> I hope, hope it's interesting. Far out. 100%. But um, I guess then I… Um, well, as I started travelling a lot more, um, we started doing trade shows in the USA and then we started to… So we infiltrated the whole Australia market with that new fan, with that pant and then… But, and not just to keep talking about the pant, but it was the one that kind mm. of, you know, got us back on the map. But then we backed it up. We had like a whole different range of design and like directional t-shirts. We started using you know, specialty lighter fabrics, better fabrics, and we, and we were trying things. So I guess that was our point of difference. And our newfound aesthetic was like, we've got a great team. We know our strategy, but we're going to try things. We're not just going to play it safe like we always did before. We're going to keep trying things till they stuck. It was hard to find another thing as good as the pant, but we had a lot of success in the tops too, our knitwear ranges and our jackets. Mm -hmm. So we not only then we got back in the market and we're known as the pant, but we had a whole collection to mm -hmm. complement it. And I guess that was our point of difference where other brands took a lot of <clears throat> took a lot of notice. Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> and then I started going over to the States and stuff, and you know, glue was still working really well. Then, then the full circle back to general pants. Glue was was in was in a position and they were doing really well. Naturally, um, a, you know, a successful brand into business and stuff. There's a lot of they, a lot of history there. Very close friends in amongst everything. I came from General Pants and I never pushed it on General Pants, but I was selling to SDS and SDS knew what was going on and they're everyone chats, you know. So my best mates were all at General Pants because so I worked there since I was in 2003. Mm -hmm. So I was all, they were always asking me, they go, hey, Zaymrab's going good. I just saw it in America. I go, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's all and, me, you know, mate. And then, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, you, you, and they'll, you know, they know this too. You, you don't want to look desperate. You don't want to go to them and go, you need us. Okay, please stock us. You know, we're pumping in America. We kept it pretty cool, you know. And then, you know, um, a very close friend of mine who I still work with these days um, on a number of projects in the, uh, is uh, Craig King. Um, who is the now the uh, the CEO. CEO of Subi? Um, so he he stepped out of General Pants as they've kind of uh, they've um, they've uh, split up their structure. Um, they're all, all still in amongst the same umbrella group of the Victor Smorgan Group in association. But he was like, "Hey, uh, I've seen was just traveling with Phil Storb when the owners of um, General Pants and um, saw it in Atrium, New York. Uh, it's not easy to get brands in there." I go, "Mate, it's working." They go, "What are you talking?" I go, "Mate." Numbers are big, you know. We weren't discussing it, but like it was on, you know. The owner of Atrium couldn't believe what was happening with this pan and the people that were buying it. And he was selling it, like I said, to the NBA players, all the biggest DJs in the world. Um, and then he was like, we should have a chat. And then that that chat went on for a few, a few weeks, a few months. And obviously this was like around July. I don't know, I'll get the year wrong. I think it was like July 2013, 2014. And... He was like, um, General Pants was like, we've identified that a lot of people are asking for your brand in the store. You know, there's now, so what, what can we do here? Let's have a chat. So they negotiated, had a, had a chat about things. It was a mutual partnership and that's the best way anything can start, right? Yeah. No one's on top. No one's got a, hey, I want 60 margin off you. I want this. They go, hey, I think we could both help each other out. Mm -hmm. they, he, they would say to us, we think you're topping out a glue. We think you can do more with us. So mm -hmm. that'll be helping you. You'll be helping us fill the void and whatnot. We've lost a few brands or a few things have shifted and the industry's changed. So we actually cancelled Glue's order and put it straight into General Pants, which is unheard of. Like you don't, you can't just like the buyers from Glue bought that for Glue. 
we were having, could have been having business issues, discussions as such with glue. And then we cancelled the order and then put that order straight into General Pants, which was a huge risky move. And what, what did that, I guess, decision, did it create any friction? Oh, mate. I mean, Leif was best <laughs> nah, friends. It was totally with smooth, mate. Yeah, nothing, was totally. nothing was said. Nothing was said. I want that can story. I, can, I, can I be honest with you? It was, it was really – that was like another breakup in my life, you know, because we were really close to all the buyers. They're still our great friends today and they'll look back on it from years to come, you know. They ended up getting Barney Cools years later. It's still mm, yeah. all, all's well that ends well. But – that's just a consolation prize. They don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> so, like, I guess at that stage, it was so risky, you know, and we were, um, Zamro was sponsoring a, um, a DJ comp by, owned by my good friend, Steve Pillimer. Do you know mm -hmm. Steve Pillimer? Yeah, your shot. Your I was, shot, yeah. I was in the first your what, shot ever. really? Yeah. Steve's a very close friend of mine. Yeah. Very so, funny. is this the first your shot? No, this was not the first one. Sohan used to do the first one yeah. back in the day, yeah. but then yeah. this, is, this was different. So, we were sponsoring that. I didn't even know that you came up from your yeah, shot. Man. Yeah, mate, that's the <laughs> groundbreaker, man. That's the one. Wow. So there, so so ended up. Um, your shot was on. It was around the start of August, and these mm. chats have been going on at the start of July. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, we're sponsoring your shot. The crowd is general pants. That all their friends mm, go true. to every single. Well, this could be perfect. This is the perfect storm. And they're going, and we, but we were scared. We we're like, oh my gosh, this could be. The flukiest move, or another part of our roller coaster journey, this could cool, yeah. completely crash because, once again, like we didn't, we weren't necessarily like a cultured general pants brand for all those years. And think of some, but there was a whole new customer base of general mm. pants by that stage. So the old Zamo could have even been forgotten about, and half these kids thought we were just a brand new brand. Mm. So. We delivered the whole thing to, there was mistakes. We ended up, we thought we, there was a mistake with production and whatnot. You know, we, we told them this is what you're getting. They got something else. It was like, it was, it was fine, but it was that we, we massaged it all. We're all good. We're good mates and we worked together on the project. It was a great partnership. Mate, the first collection sold out, which is unheard of. We wouldn't have sold out of glue at the time. As I said, there were a lot of brands, even within their business, even their own vertical brands that were, not plagiarizing, taking inspiration from a great performing category because they can see the data. Yep. We're going to do it for ourselves and make more margin. So we wouldn't have ever had that success. It went into General Pants and then sure enough, those Your Shot, those your shot um, photo galleries were the whole Zamro catalog. Yeah. So it was on and I'm going, we've not fluked it. This is all part of the strategy. We've done it again. We've done it again. And it was they with the boys couldn't believe it. They go, oh. so then it was a race against time to try and get more stock. General Pants had faith in us that we could deliver a great product and deliver something that kind of could fill a void within their business and that pant went on. And probably, to be fair, if it wasn't for General Pants at that time, it probably that prolonged that category. Naturally, over the years, General Pants copied it too. But, you know, it, that happens, you know. And again, they're a business and they're a great business. We, we, that was inevitable. We knew that would happen from the start, you know. But the guys had some really, really good um, good handshakes in place and stuff about, hey, give us exclusivity amongst this. We'll work with you. We, we definitely want to be the brand and stuff that could offer everything that we did at Glue from what I learned on the shop floor at General Pants, meeting other brands and getting building that rapport and all the rest to then implement that again at General Pants where it had been flat. So we just flipped it again. Everything that worked for glue and we rolled it out in General Pants and had great successes. Yeah. So it's now about 2014, right? Yep. yep. Um, and you're still working on Zenero. Yes. At what point, uh, I guess, did you end your your role there yep. as, a, as a brand director? Yep. And did you end up taking the leave with Nat going over to Barney Calls? Yeah. So Nat 
um, we were talking about it a bunch. And um, when we had a discussion amongst everything, um, we agreed that I would work across both brands because at those stages, Nat was really, he was like, hey, I need your help. I need, like, it's not, you know, the whole success of Zane Road was a crew working together and whatnot. And, and Barney Cools needed a lot of help back then. So, absolutely. We, excuse me, we, um, did everything the same as Zane Road. We, you know, okay. the, the, your beauty, Barnacles was a, was a cheeky tongue in cheek name, you know, mm. a reference to Barnacle um, and, and all the rest, you know, to be something that could be worn in the water and be out of the water mm-hmm. too. Um, and it, that, it was that kind of East Coastal kind of, you know, tongue in cheek brand that was probably missing from the market and a lot of retailers, you know, it, it was, but again, probably playing into a, a more saturated space and stuff, you know. So I guess it's it's sat on the edge between a cooler, you know, an edgier streetwear brand um, and the surf brand. It kind of sat in the middle. And also a brand that caters for both men and women. And women, right? that's right. And women was later on, kind of kind of rub, rub at the tail end of what I, um, my time there. But um, yeah, you know, they, it was, it was, it was a great idea. And again, it mitigated some risk, you know. So I guess where we were losing because naturally um, the USA um, was um, steering Zane Robe in a certain direction. Um, we were then probably missing certain areas What we started, you know, this newfound Zane Robe with that Barney Cools could fill the void and then it would be a great we, – we knew we were good to deal with. We had a great supply chain and logistics system. So, you know, the, the likes of Nordstrom's and these guys were like comfortable to work with us. Mm-hmm. I had one more thing. I want to tell you a story about Nordstrom because we were talking about it before. Yeah. So part of that time in the States when it was popping off in the States, we're obviously getting – we're in the right stores and, and whatnot, but you can only get so much out of, you know, a, a high-end boutique. You know, you can get great global reach and it really helped with our, without the growth of our, di- our digital and our social but we um, we went into a Nordstrom meeting one day and what, when we showed those cuff pants, the la- the lovely ladies in Nordstrom, I'm still friends with a bunch of them on Facebook and see what their kids are up to these days and stuff, you know, <laughs> as like we all do with those old friends. But yeah, they're all they were the biggest legends and they liked us because we, we were real, but we're also, they were like, these crazy Aussies, like they're yeah. coming over to Seattle. They're wearing board shorts in the middle of winter. They're just like, they're just the, the, this different kind it's of something wrong with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they go, they're, they're, you know, they go, there's just something, you know, I guess like they had a soft spot for us because kind of, you know, just like when you're at school, you know, let's just say you, you're a mucker upper or you're not doing your grades and stuff. If you can play politics right, you will pass that class. Mm. And that was my always my um, my approach As to a working. Master network, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. But even if I'm a punish sometimes, I know that I can just get around and just pass <laughs> that class with the right politics. So um, we we knew we applied that at, at Nordstrom too. So we went to this Nordstrom meeting and she we held up the pants and the lady's like, Richie that pant will never work in our business. You got to understand, you know, you were not as cool as you guys. I was like, give it a chance, give it a chance. So we waited for the season out and stuff. They go, okay, we'll, we'll put it in there, you know. She's like, what does it look like on? I'm like, I'll, I'll show you. So she's like, oh, you, she says you tried it on? Yeah, I go, oh. she's like, oh, the change room's out there. I'm like, don't worry about that. <laughs> I just dropped me Dax. <laughs> shock, shock factor in me undies. And they go, ah. See, what, what are you doing? I'm like, it's just wearing me undies, relax. You know, that's free ball. I'm just chill. I'll turn around if you like, you know. But they, again, would laugh about that in years mm. to come because, again, that broke down the barrier yeah. in there. And, again, that just made them go far out. These guys, you know, they're just they're, – they're, they're different, but we like it because mm. – they were used to corporate conservatives, you know, playing the game of like, you know, oh, you know, can I take you out to dinner? Can I do this? Well, we were like, 
shock factor. Hey, let's go for a drink afterwards, pants down. You know, and it worked, you know, to a point. But we had to find the right kind of level. Look, looking back in hindsight and stuff, Laith would have said to me that was a very risky move. That could have gone either way and it went the right way. So it was okay. Um, But... Yeah, that was uh, happening. Nordstrom was stocking Barney Cools at that stage. It was starting to work out. They weren't cannibalizing each other. They were more just filling the blanks. Some brands went to Barney Cools and whatnot. The difference with it was, though, right, Zame Robe now is still an amazing brand in the States and, and it's got, they've got a great business. They've, they've kind of condensed a little bit, very focusing online, less retail, less being at the mercy of other retailers doing a good job or, on the, or doing a horrible job. And the latter was very obvious with a lot of retailers. Um, they know who they, they and you will know who they are. But um, they, um, that was working really well with, um, it works well for Zame Robe now. But then Barney Cools found it hard because, I guess like the marketing associated with Barney Hills was that Aussie humour, which mm. it can go really, can be so hit and miss in the States, like the way we act and everything, right? So in some ways, it was really hard to infiltrate the States with Barney Cools. We we probably only got in because of Zane Rove. If we were a completely new brand over there, mm, I don't, it would have been, it wouldn't have worked. Whereas we kind of had the, we, our fabrics were good, we had the right factories. They knew that they didn't have to worry us about, you know, things not working or being sent back supply. from production supply chain and all the rest. So, yeah, um, but yeah, those businesses now are still um, are still at that stage. Now, to get back to your question, I then you know for all that time, as things were changing a little bit, the US started to. We had a team over there that was doing everything. We kind of established ourselves. So I guess my work is like you know representing the brand on the face. You know, we 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 had some amazing kind of marketing, retail marketing, and you know associated with events, influencers, social media started changing the way our marketing was. So it meant that it kind of cannibalized my approach to things a little bit. So I was like. You know, at the time, Nat spoke to me, like I said, Nat spoke to me about getting involved with Barney Cools. I really never followed it followed it up at the time because, you know, in hindsight at times, I, you know, I may have regretted that. But I, I also think it was the best thing because naturally I, I didn't want to just do that. I wanted to change. I'd always had long jobs in my career and I knew I wanted to work for myself and I knew I didn't quite know what it was, but I, I just knew after having all that freedom at Zane Robe and to, and I did, to be fair, you know, we, we executed everything we we worked hard we partied hard we absolutely gave it our all we worked way longer hours but it became part of our lifestyle and I loved it but also at that time I was like you know a lot of people would say you know why don't you put that into your own effort your own business you know try some other things and I knew then from that point when I got some advice I was like you know what I, I've done my dash I was like you know I, I loved it and it was it was really hard because you know you're so emotionally connected to a brand and I was so proud of our achievements and everything we've done you know you know you make your own luck in this world right mm. you know like we we worked bloody hard and like there was a there was madness but there was a bloody method to it you know mm. and in some ways we didn't see it at first and other ways it was a really clear strategy we knew what we had to do we knew what we had to do to get an edge on all the other brands and be that slightly bit different and I feel like I said edge heaps of time, but anyway, so um, <laughs> <laughs> we knew, you know, at that stage. So I guess like I was starting to, I wasn't burnt out with it, but I also knew that I was like, I wanted to do something for myself. I wanted that freedom. I ended up being back at the Australian office a little bit and we were working on some other projects and we actually, we launched Subtype Store, the sneaker store, you know, so we, I worked on that whole launch too, you know, I wouldn't, that was a big collective group. Now, right? But, you know, get this, the 
why don't you know? And you can you can read this any way you want. And Lath would say the same thing. You know, we we came up with this concept. We're working on it. They've sold it now. You know, they made some good, good cash from that too. We I actually to, didn't know that. Yeah, they sold it to Accent Group. So the, the guys still do some work together and stuff. But yeah, Accent Group put all their um, footwear brands in there now. But they've got a great global catalog. The store in George Street now is amazing. Yeah. That's not a plug. Um, <laughs> but um, at that time, you know, um, when we were launching Subtype Store, they're like, hey, this is the next project, and I took that on. Yeah. You know, and because I had retail background, probably the most retail background than anyone, they, they gave them, took my feedback on board. Um, we were getting brands, we'd signed a couple and whatnot, and they're like, hey, like, we need Nike, you know. And it was just at the stage where the sneaker trend in Australia hadn't really peaked again, but we knew it had peaked in the States, you know. It was going through a, a big wave, but it was going to have another resurgence, um, you know, but before before Yeezy and all that. And and he said to me, hey, well, your job is to get us Nike. So I was like, fuck. I go, so I'm like, I went back to the way we would do it. You know, I went back to through my whole network. I was like, right, I've got to make the works on the Nike account at Rebel. And he, I played rugby with him, a guy called Tommy Burkow. I still chat with him now. I was like, Tommy, hey, we've got this idea. Can you get me a meeting? Can you get Lath and I a meeting with these guys? Nike just don't give out things yeah. anymore. You can't get an account with Nike, you know? And we ended up getting a, an NSW, a top tier account. And we went in there and met this lovely guy called Nick Gray, who I don't talk to enough these days, but he's a legend. And we pitched to him. He's like, well, what's going to be different about you guys? And I gave the spiel. I'm like, hey, I'm like, we want to offer within this world, we want to be an epic sneaker store, but we also want to have a really strong sense of customer service, you know, like above and beyond and all. I know everyone says that, but they don't execute it. And this is why, this is our experience. Subtype this is, is what, culture. Yeah. And we're going to add, and it evolved over the years, you know, and we got some great new staff that took it to the next level and stuff. But that was an amazing project to work on. And, mate, we pitched it to Nick. He's like, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to think about it. I, I really like you guys and I'm going to pitch it to it. And he has to get approval and whatnot. And... Luckily enough, you know, that at the that still at that time, a lot of the crew and Nike head office in Portland were still wearing our pants. And I just think <laughs> that's what got us across the line. So universe, we did that, right? yeah. Yourself. So yeah, so at the at the time, yeah, we we um we got into we got a Nike account, then once you get that, you get everything. And then after that, it, you know, around that stage, it was probably probably at 2016 then. When I, and I don't, and like you say, it was around 2014, 2015 when I was thinking about it. I'd done a lot of it. We started to, well, you know, the the industry was changing with online. Um, we was the boys were starting to look at and entertain the idea of putting Zane Robe into some Westfields. I went into Bondi Junctions to test. It, it wasn't my thing because I just thought we couldn't execute our true. Um, our true personality and influence of the brand in Westfield. You just can't. It's stark. It's, you know, no, no offense to everyone there, but unless, unless you really, unless you're, unless you're going into Westfield with a true new innovative retail experience, I just think it's destined to fail. You know, you, you just, you rent it out of the game. You know, it's, it, the rents are exorbitant. It's just hard. It's, it can end up being a bit of a trap. It wasn't necessarily my vibe and, and I was thinking about it more. And then someone came to me and said, hey, I love this Flintlock Zamerum t-shirt, but I can't get anywhere, but I want them for a festival. Can you make me some? I'm like, I wonder will I have a non-compete on this kind of thing? I'm not going to copy it, but I go, what do you like about it? They go, it's just longer. We like longer t-shirts. I go, well, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to copy it, but I'll make you a tall tee and I can print on it for you. They're like, sweet. I was like, so I got some help from a designer, a friend, and, uh, and, and well, sorry, then I met Sohan. 
and through the Rufus guys because Rufus were, um, we used to book Rufus for all of our um, shows. So when Rufus, before they popped off in Australia, they had been wearing Zane robe the whole time. Yeah. So again, yeah, a whole different that. area. So we booked Rufus for our Halloween show before they blew up and played all their festivals to an intimate show to 400 people at the Beresford. And it was the most, to this day, it's one of my top five ever things to be a part of, you know, in a room, everyone dressed up in Halloween, the craziest vibes. And there's this, there's the little do we know, there's one of the most influential electronic, you know, bands in front of us that are like going to take over the world and change the, the music scape in the world and play their music in parts of the world that once also said, just like our pants, that music won't work mm, here. Yeah. The United States, now it's their biggest market. You know, but that's all a sound the, bite right there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, there was this, there, and so we we done all that work with Rufus over the years and I became very close with the guys and I still chat to them from time to time and stuff. We live all live in different worlds these days, but I'm still close to know. If I see their, their manager, Danny Robson, who we work together um, in store, he's a, he's a close friend. But anyway, so Danny is an absolute legend, pretty much like a band member. He said to me, hey, there's this guy, Sohan, you should meet him. He's, um, he, you really like him. And I was like, who is this guy, you know? And he goes, you've met him a heap of times. He's been here, 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 Anyway, so he's like, hey. Like, like we all have, right? Yeah, totally. Like you and I, you know. <laughs> you and I would have been in the same thing. You and I would have been in the same room a million yeah. times. We just never got a chance yeah. to connect and yeah. stuff and vibe off yeah. each other. Anyway, so, and we were still in that stage. And Sohan, he's like, hey, Rich, this is Sohan. We got chatting and whatnot. And Sohan, he's a, he's a good sales one-on-one. He's an operations guy. He knows his shit, you know. He's got a good idea and creative, not his strong point personally, but his operational skills, his marketing skills and everything are on point, you know, logistics, all the rest. So he said to me, let's, go, let's catch up for coffee. And he's like, he goes, he pulled me up, we went for coffee down the road and just down here actually, because the office was here. And he goes, we're going to do something together. I'm like, I wasn't kind of expecting it at the time and stuff. We had a chat. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. He, he goes, he goes, I can help with all the shit that you're bad at. And I was like, I go, that's a lot. I go, he goes, I don't know the first thing about starting my own business. I don't know how, like, I, I wouldn't know where to start. I'm, I, you know, at the time, I hadn't done my tax for four years, you know. I was caught up in everything. I go, I'm not in good shape to start my own business. Anyway, so he was, he was like, I'll do all this stuff. We're going to work on it together. It's going to be a marketing agency. It's going to be a brand management agency initially. But what we're going to work on first is branding and you are going to run everything offline. And you're going to run, and at the start, he's like, our first project is going to be, I'm like, he goes, what do you got? I'm like, well, someone just asked me for some T-shirts. And I heard AS Colors popping off. I heard some rumors and one, I go, we can't compete with those guys, but we could do some fits that they don't offer. So I knew at their, their catalog was a lot smaller and I went in there and checked everything out. I'm like, they don't offer this. So once someone asked me for this kind of shirt and I was like, we can do that. So we went to one of our factories and then we got a job with a festival. Um, we ended up working with FOMO Festival. We did some uh, merch run for one of their things. Fuck, it was a f disaster. It was, <laughs> it, we got to the stage where we had a few issues with production. We were making out of Bangladesh. We had good pricing. We had a guy on grounds. We'd done everything right, but it was just a comedy errors. The first round of samples went missing. You know, the things things just go missing over there. It's not, China's a lot more regimented when it comes to production. You can guarantee you get things at times. It, we're making manufacturing in Bangladesh, which like I knew at the time, but we also had to take a risk because we couldn't afford China prices. So we're like, hey, I knew we can get the quality, we can do this. So we did it. We delivered everything in the nick of time the day before the festival. I'm flying to Adelaide with their clothes, their t-shirts in two bags and like to just deliver for the next day for the festival, that kind of thing. 
got it all done. FOMO were great to work with. We're still really great friends with uh, with Stephen Pappas, um, one of the guys that we worked with from the start. He's a, he's a beautiful man and he's doing some amazing things at the moment. So he actually spent a lot of time working with Sohan and he consulted to our business. So that relationship's still great. We deliver everything, got us sorted from that and then no standing just evolved from there. So that was the transition. It was like he said to Sohan, said to me, he goes, you can do this. He goes, you need to pick a time when you're going to leave and we'll work it out. So we did the festival six months before I left, delivered the stock. We had money in the bank. It was a good project. I was like, wow, we, we can do this. Um, and I'd started DJing at the time. So I was like, I knew I knew no matter what, let's just say no standing, didn't, wasn't, you know, turning over as much money as we need. I wasn't going to take a wage from it. I go, I'll, I'll just DJ for the next year and that's going to be my money and then I'll put everything into no standing we'll pay for our legal costs our trademarks everything set up or do it properly so how and I did it together he took a job and then no standing was born and then I started there it's really interesting like through everything that you've kind of launched music's been a massive uh a massive part to that launch strategy like yes. Zane Robe you know it's been on Kendrick Lamar Joey yes. Badass yeah um Barney Cools I just remember it being like sort of that Ivy Pool like, yeah that was yeah. like your sort of launching totally. ground. I was yeah. really driven by that Northern music. Beaches crew totally it is it is yeah I mean music's the biggest edge and so when I, and yeah. that was another thing before all the influencer marketing you know we when I got into Zane Robe at the time Nat and this is purely based on the music story Nat was listening to a lot of Jamie Jones and Lee Foss and then they you know I listened I grew up in the you know in the General Pants days with the Bang Gang era and all the rest so I was very into Electro House and, and all the rest the deeper stuff from Jamie Jones took me and like I there was some things I liked but Nat was on these tears with it he listened to every single mix he's like this is good man we're, it's 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 big in Australia but it's going to get bigger he goes we're going to be we're going to now we'll dress hip-hop DJs we'll give in it within America with so we're actually not going to pigeon ourselves to any genre we're going to dress everyone and the right young organic ones mm. so like the Kendrick Lamar thing, mate, we got an email from someone in in US saying, hey, I'm Kendrick Lamar's stylist. He loved Zaino before he was big. That's and nice. I was like, yeah, you're Kendrick Lamar's <laughs> stylist, nice one. <laughs> so Dan Maynard, who's uh, who used to run Zaino USA, and his brother um, Liam Maynard ran Zaino Canada, very close friends of mine too. Dan was like, hey, um, Dan's like, hey, sweet, why don't you come in for a fitting? I want to show you around. We'll check out the office in downtown LA. And... So Kendrick came in and he saw the new collections and he was like, I want it all. So then from that point, Dan met and became really good friends with all the TDE crew. And before you knew it, Kendrick was wearing our logo tee when he won his first BET award. That's our huge. logo tee. And then he loved our pants and Schoolboy Q was wearing us too. And then um, Dan became great friends with, with Ali. So then the Chicago Connect was another yeah. thing. That was a natural evolution. Chance, before he was big, was getting all of his clothes from Leaders, the, one of the most influential stores in Chicago, and they were hooked the cookies. So we give them free product to give to all the upcoming rappers. Mm -hmm. So they loved it. So they go, they Culture, give them for man. free, and that's what yeah. it was. So we never went to the top. Our whole philosophy was... Let's be organic. Okay, let's support the grassroots and let's actually be the let we let's pick the next best thing. Let's back like these we things. did for Rufus. You know, like Rufus were already pumping and like Danny looked after me in a lot of ways and stuff to help get the Rufus deal across the line initially, booking them for the, the Halloween party and stuff. We gave them, we helped them get in the window of general pants. So everything worked out again. It was a partnership and it always has been a partnership the whole time. It's never like 
I'm doing this for you. What are you doing this for me? We discussed it, laid it out. Let's work together. Let's do it. You know, and that's and, and that's the way I've always loved doing business and and, and working with people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was uh, that the, the Kendrick thing was huge. You know, that that topped it off in the states and then whatnot. Then we were dressing. You know, our good friend. We became good friends with the guys from Soul Clap with some some DJs mm-hmm. out of um, New York who were amazing and playing great house music. And then you know Martin Garrix before he long was wearing it. Tiesto was wearing the pants. So mm-hmm. it was it, all of a sudden. Jamie was wearing it. Oh, yeah. Jamie, man, <laughs> the winner of your shot, bro, the yeah. first one, bro. I didn't even win, man. I think I had like two people rock up to my set. I was saying your music was better than your promotion. You know? so, uh, like yeah, so the music was such a key. I'm really glad you brought it up because, mm. yeah, we, we, you know, a lot of brands would say, yeah, we're our, our key pillars are art, music. And I'm like, well, are they? What do you do? You know, like, well, yeah. what, do, what are you doing differently for those industries to kind of in, involve yourself or be a part of it, not just throw money at things mm. and go, yeah, we sponsored this event, you know? So we, uh, it was different. And again, we didn't have those big budgets to do it, but we knew we had a big allowance for gifting clothes and all the rest, which got us across the line. So yeah, the music thing was huge, you know, from in, in Australia, our first ever, so that Zane Rope Halloween party, this was the lineup. Rufus into Alice in Wonderland into Hayden James for 400 people. And you can imagine those kids. It's a 200 grand lineup it's a nine, like now. And you imagine the staff at General Pants were like, at then, they, were like, they look back on it now, they go, holy shit, yeah. I went to a 400 person gig with Zane Rope. So it'll be for yeah. forever. It was, it was epic. Awesome, man. And uh, and music is still a constant now on your last venture, which is Hard Fizz. Yes. Your business partners with Fisher. Yes. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about that? So um, I became really good mates with Fisher back in the oh, – sorry, I met Fisher in the SDS days and he didn't really give me much, much attention, but he had a show. Paul was a surfer, right? He was a pro surfer. So he, were, he was a pro surfer for Reef and then he, um, he was – all um he was as out there he hasn't changed one bit you know he was out there as he was back then and like oh, i was like oh, i used to watch his videos i was like i want to meet this guy you know he's got we have similar energy and we, we i knew i'd get along with him well but i never really had a chance to meet him and hang out with him anyway years go down the track i'm at zane robe i see him in bali in my 30th and i was like what are you doing he's like he's oh you know i'm not working for reef i'm not working for reef anymore i'm just kind of on my own i'm still doing the dj thing but everything's dried up in those you know around those what that world seven years ago and I was like do you want Zane Rope so I said to Laith I'm like hey I'm gonna give this guy I'm like he's he's right now he's in a, a DJ duo called Cut Snake with him and his good friend Lee Sedley another beautiful character um both ex-pro surfers learned to party on the lay days of all the surf comps and they had this group called Cut Snake with a bit of edge and all that. So I was like gifting them. Fisher would come in the office and the whole office loved him because he was just coming in, he's a larrikin, and he'd be like, yeah, come <laughs> And all the rest. And they, and they, they really quite, quite fond of him. He'd, and, and again, his, his best quality was he had time for everyone. He spoke mm. to every person, he chatted to the owners, he chatted to the receptionists, you know. Like, and I just think that's, that's kind of why I gravitated towards him. I'm like, wow, this guy's a a good dude and he has time for everyone no matter who you are you know it doesn't didn't matter whether it was the owner or or the cleaner so he um he became good buddies over the years and i was in la a lot obviously like i said before and he um came to me one day and he and he was he was out having 
trauma, drama, relationship dramas. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. And he's, I was good friends with his manager at the time. So we'd done a lot of work and I met him and we helped each other out. And, um, and he was, he was, look, he was, he was probably in a, in not in a great way and you know, with his relationship dramas and ended up marrying that girl of his dreams now. So they're still together, which is great. So all's well that ends well. But yeah, Chloe's, <laughs> Chloe's a beautiful, beautiful girl and a good friend of mine too. But at that stage, um, he was, he said to me, he's, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm in LA. He's like, are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm here. He's like, he's where are you going? I go, I'm going to Burning Man. And he goes, <laughs> and it was my, it was my, it was my third trip to Burning Man. So maybe my second, a second trip to Burning Man. I've done it once before with Nat. That's another story. Um, but and I was like, and I heard his voice, and I was like, and I was like, I knew I could get another ticket, and I was like, you want to come? And he's like, oh, it's four days away, man. I can't. I'm like, you're such a pussy. <laughs> and he goes, all right. I'm coming. I go, good. I'm calling Brett right now. So I call Brett and Brett goes to me. He goes, brother, do you really want that responsibility? I go, he's on his own. He'll be on his own show. He goes, no, no, I need you to look after him a little bit, you know. I was like, all right. I go, I promise I'll look after him. He'll be fun. He'll be fitting with our crew. So I got him a ticket. My good friend Alex um, and I drove from LA. We got a spare camper van. And Fisher's a really, he's he's OCD with his like hygiene and cleanliness. I mean, I, I, some people would find that weird, but mate, the guy gets home from a night out and cleans his shoes because he's a freaking weirdo. <laughs> I go, I tell him all the time, but you know you're a borderline psychopath. You know <laughs> so he, he probably knows too. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, so like he was, um, this was going to be interesting because Burning Man's messy, you know. It's like, you know, we, and we get there and our generator breaks. There's no air con, you know. We're in the middle of the night, we're partying, we're peeing in Gatorade bottles, you know. He's like, that's not his flavour. You know, I go, hey, but you come and you immerse yourself in this culture because right just here… embrace it. Embrace it. I go, this is going to be weird for you because it's not clean. You're going to be dirty every night. And, mate, he he um, had the best time. We had the best time together. That solidified our friendship, you know, because we like, you know, we're walking around nude together and stuff and then all, you know, it's just… <laughs> Whatever, you know, like we're just like, we're in an RV, You're, you've got all this stuff going on, you know, the highs, the lows, the, the excitement, seeing our favourite DJs and, you know, get, he's running around like a like a little kid, 16-year-old kid going, wow. <laughs> and he's just, and I was thriving off his energy because I'd done it before. I was like, oh, I'd love to take someone and it was a whole new experience for me. So it was like, it was so epic. We just had the best time. And and on the way home in the, in the we got stuck in, there was an issue leaving Burning Man and we got stuck in like 36 hours of traffic. It took us 36 hours to get home from Burning Man to LA. You know, you're hungover. We, you, you know, you there's thoughts and stuff. And but, we, 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 but, but we were, but we were, we're coming down from, you know, the emotional roller coaster of a week with minimal sleep and all the rest. But we had the best chat the whole time. He was ill. He partied all night. I slept for a little bit and drove because he's a little prick and he would never offer to drive. <laughs> <laughs> but I drove the first bit out. But we just got chatting and, you know, no radio, nothing. Mm. There was mineral reception because you're driving out from the desert and we're stuck in gridlock traffic. And all I had was the music on my phone. We're plugging my phone in and we're listening and we're like listening to tracks and whatnot. I'm like, we're listening to this um this song called I I Esparta by um I just had a mental blank. But anyway, we listen to songs. I'm like, how good is this tune? And it goes do 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 and it's got this rolling bass line. I'm like, it's so simple. And the vocal hook is no one makes me feel like you do. And like it was just so we're like we're vibing on it. I'm like, it's so easy. Like you know, he goes and we're talking about it. You know, and he'd spoken to me about starting a, a you know a solo career and and we'd spoken about it. And we had gave him our full support. And we were just vibing off on it, and and uh, and yeah, not long after that, he he came out with one of his own own songs, you know. And 
from and I don't put it down to anything to do with me, but I put it down to the whole epiphany of an experience. You know, I actually, I think, and, you know, we've spoken about a bunch, you know, that that was was the the, the tipping point for him and and on all areas. So so Fisher pops off as Fisher. How did the business relationship come about? Sorry, yes, so then that that pops up, that all happens, he pops off and then because of the surf industry background and all the rest, he then, um, he's got a number of businesses going on, he's got his own record label. He came to me about a year and a half ago. He goes, hey, um, I'm linking up with one of the um, early investors, ex-founders of Bolter, who sold out of the business and stuff. There's this big pervasive trend that you would have seen in the States called Seltzer. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. And he, he goes, they've said to me they want to get um, 10. Um, he wants me to pick 10 owners to buy in an evaluation. And then um, and I thought initially, he's like, he thought initially he was just going to pick, you know, top end dudes, you know, like people with mass followings and all the rest, the big names are thrown out there. And they were like, nah, they go, we, we want crew that are going to embrace it and help grow this locally and stuff because you can have your global reach, but it's just not legit. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to do this right. So again, it tied back into the philosophy that yeah. I liked. So yeah. I was like, I can see myself being a part of this. And then we chucked in the money. I pulled out. <laughs> I was pretty pretty scarce at the time with, with mortgages and stuff, but I'd pull, luckily enough, I could pull out of my super in two lots. So I got 20 grand out of my super and chucked in a bit more, bought into it. We're all good to go. COVID hit, everything was kind of delayed and all the rest. And at times I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, I've just dumped 30 money into this, 30 grand, whatever it was. And then, um, then it, started to all come to fruition. It was, we're seeing the imagery, we're seeing the logos. Then we saw every other competitor came in. All of a sudden, you know, there was 20 different seltzers mm-hmm. on the market and we knew we had to have a different kind of edge. And I think they they really, the whole marketing team and and collectively with, with contribution from everyone came up with a great strategy that was, you know, not trying to be too too cool or to go out there saying, you know, where to market, where the best, where the best seltzer or we've got the lowest calories or we've got the best taste we're going to go out there and go we're just like you and i we're fun we want to have a few drinks we want to surf in the morning you know one of the taglines is you know um fizzy on the lips fizzy on the lips light on the hips or light on the rig you know because you could have a couple and still be active and do your thing so that's how that all came about and then yeah we're we're um we're we're on to good things there Mm yes we became business partners so we work really close but i actually through no standing i work with him um him and chris Lake and I do all of their create well, not not all of it but we work in a collective with another designer um, via our um, art house agency. Um, so uh, a girl called Esha, our creative director, and a guy called Chris Rawson who was ex Zamerobe, helped me kind of build out and we do a lot of their um, design direction for Chris Lake and for Fisher for all their merch. Yeah, so that's one of the po- projects under no standing. So yeah, so we I, I have a call with those guys. Oh, we just launched a new collection called Car which is catch and release records abbreviated. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's uh, it's actually, this This is not a plug, but this is one of our teas. And yeah, so it's all about coming plug up it. with different, um, different, uh, different bits and pieces. So yeah, that's gonna be a, a good ongoing one. That one we can get into, um, not arguments, but we could get stroppy with each other because when he sees something, he wants it now. He doesn't understand the concept of production time and stuff. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why is it taking so long? I go, well, welcome to my world, brother. Mm. Or why is it delayed on a ship? I go, have you seen the Suarez? You seen what's going on? That ship's blocking our product. You know, like, I guess like that stuff happens all the time, you know, in our business. So, yeah. So you've obviously, you've been prolific in pretty much everything you've done, man. It's, these are household names that we're talking about here. 
Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that sort of look up to you and would want to create a similar sort of pathway in life. Yep. What's some just general advice you can give to someone that wants to follow your journey? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, my, my journey, like I said, is, is very unorthodox and it's, mm. it's, a, it's a journey of, uh, of chopping and changing and, you know, people would laugh at me and my wife would say to me, you do too many things, you're too busy, yeah. you know. Why don't I go, I guess though, it still semi-suits my, my, me, it's mm. me, you know. I guess like, and I, I, it took me a while at times, I thought, you know, I used to get down on myself, maybe I am doing too many things and stuff. But when I spoke to, excuse me, when I spoke to a VC about something, we were trying to sell uh, uh, a project and we were discussing some about some investment. He was like, mate, he goes, these guys are the top. They, they chuck 200 grand at 10 things, one sticks and it's the winner and mm. it outwins everything. I'm like, it's like, yeah. I guess that's what I'm doing too. Yeah. But I'm not not that kind of money. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I'm working on different things to see what happens and stuff. I mean, you you're asking this time, right? Exactly. And expertise and knowledge. Exactly. So I guess you know, um, for my own um, advice to someone, you know, wanting to you know, um, you know, work, do this kind of line of work and stuff, is you have to don't. There's no entitlement. You go in there and you work hard and back to the point about you give everyone the time of the day yeah. and you be the most approachable and like-minded person to everything. Yeah. And I just think that's the, the thing that sticks with me is, is you know, I was taught and brought up that, that no one's better than anyone. Mm -hmm. you're, you're on everyone's level. I hope, I hope, and I know I, my intention throughout my whole life was to give everyone the right amount of time mm -hmm. and to sponge and absorb as much as I could and then pick the good stuff and amplify that. So I guess like when it comes down to someone wanting to get into marketing or someone wanting to get into their own business, you know, have, have an idea and have a strategy. Don't follow everyone else, mm. you know. Like my whole thing was I did it so differently to everyone else, but I think that's the, that was my, you know, um, that was my point of difference and that was my edge because I tried a whole bunch of different things and I then, you know, I applied fundamentals from every different thing to come in looking for opportunities. And like I said, you create your own luck. You know, if I didn't reach out to Fisher or see him in Bali and gift him and work with him, became buddies with him, I never would have got mm. the Fizz opportunity, you know. Um, same thing with No Standing, unless I was, you know, out there and actively looking for new musicians to work with, with Zane Robe as part of our, our marketing plan, I never would have met Rufus and I never would have started No Standing. So, you know, you create your own luck and then it's about how you apply it moving forward. Yeah. I think one other like really important common thread that you've sort of said throughout this interview is the whole idea about win-win. Yes. Like making things, everything win-win. Totally. Um, yeah, so and, I think and that's a huge thing. Big time. Collaboration and partnership, you know, yeah. when that, that you, like you, you nailed it, you know, like know how it, I, I used to, you know, at times throughout my, my business career back in the, in the sale, early sales days, I go into meetings and stuff and, you know, these, these CEOs would sit at the table and go, we need uh, 60 margin, we need 20% off wholesale and you're going to get free delivery and if you don't meet this window, we're going to take another discount. And I'd be like, what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah. about? Are you kidding me? This is, and you know what? True, true to the point, that's why the retail model is fucked in Australia. Mm. It was, it, the moment it became outside of a partnership, unless you're selling your own vertical product. I mean, it's hurting now. You see it with the, so you know, know, the big guys it. as well. The mate, look at it now. I mean, like you, these guys, their model's all wrong, you know. They're like, you know, concession or everything. You know, these guys, you know, these CEOs will come in and go, you can stock this brand and stuff, you know, or, or, or these festivals will come in and go, you can't book Fisher because I've got him exclusively. You can have Chris Lake. You can't, like, it's like, stop yeah. looking. 
opinion, whatever not else is doing. that they no longer have to leverage now. No. There's no middleman. People are going straight, straight to Straight to the game, exactly. Yeah. So, and then that's why, you know, look at the success of, of e-com and stuff. And I think, you know, over the years, I tried to always still stay relevant in industries that are timeless. You know, alcohol's always going to be timeless. Music's going to be timeless. So I would say that's another advice yeah. too, is to yeah. look to, let's, you can't forecast to read the future or see what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. be versatile. Don't just have one skill set and stuff. If you are learning something, um, try something different. You know, like one of our favorite DJs or the guy out mate, at the front of, um, uh, you know, uh, he worked uh, at the front of Sufection Mossman where the old Zamra office was, was Robbie Lowe. He's like an institutional house DJ from Sydney. And he's the biggest legend. He surfs. He's, I just saw him live the other weekend at a gig. And he taught us how to DJ because he gave us time after work because he like, he's like, I like you guys. You come and dance in front of me at all my gigs and I get the best vibe from you. He goes, I want to give back. And that might tie in, segue to the next point, is always giving back. Mm. You, I, I give, I constantly find, make time to always give free advice to people. And for what it's worth, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think of myself as, as a visionary or an entrepreneur. I really don't. Like, I, I still, I'm still maturing within my career and stuff, and I, I think mm. I've got a lot more to give. But you always give people the time of day and you give free advice, give back to the community. You know, whether, whether it's a charity angle, whether it's everything, you always give away stuff for free, you know. But, the whole idea of every hour is billable is definitely a thing in business and I get it, but you make time and you factor in those unbillable hours and you give it away for free. Such strong advice, man. So we're now on to a segment of this podcast that we call Rocket Fire Question. So there's nine questions both Jamie and I will be asking and uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your answers. Should I get prepared for this one? <laughs> <laughs> the curveball, man. Strap in. Uh, okay, so the first one is, if you could turn back time and change one thing in your journey, what would it be and why? Oh, I, I've never really been asked that question before. I don't think, I, I, maybe I would have done a few things differently uh, growing up and all the rest, but as far as career goes, I, like I, I love my journey because like, it suits my personality and everything. Um, maybe maybe I could have applied myself a little bit more um, in school to understand finances better and whatnot. I think, look, at school, I did everything to get out of school. Like I joined the SRC because I go to other schools and whatnot. <laughs> and like, well, who's this guy on the Student Representative Council? My mates go, you're a loser. I go, no, nah, I'm not, man. We go to an all-boys high school and I'm going to a girls' high school. <laughs> so like... I, I think there are ways I definitely, I really, I'm a firm believer in, in learning more and applying yourself to the books and stuff. And I could have done that differently. And I just think naturally as a creative, you know, you get distracted and, and whatnot. And so I, that's one thing um, that I could have done a little bit differently. And and again, ongoing with study, you know, like I did enough to get by to get into the role. I didn't do an ounce extra because I was worried I might miss out on the next thing, you yeah. know. Whereas like, you can't always think like that. Yeah. Mm. What's the first thing you do when you wake up every morning? Now I go to the gym every morning. I don't. I don't have. I drink water. I drink water every morning. I'm a firm believer in, and I hear mixed things. But you, every body is different. But I'm a sweaty person, <laughs> so I, I definitely get dehydrated quite easily. So I drink water every morning, um, and then no coffee before I train. I train with a group of dudes down at uh, at icebergs and and uh, all around Bondi. Um, and I find that's I've been in my best shape and best headspace of it. Sets the tone, right? Sets the tone. Nice. If you if you if you start the day right, you own the day. You know. Nice. Who are your three dream dinner guests, dead or alive, and why? Okay, this is going to be so funny, but I've got this mate who is my funniest mate. 
And when I think of a dinner guest, a dinner's all about contribution, right? So the right dinner and the most epic dinner needs right personalities. Now, I can tell some stories, but I've got this mate called Peter Playford. He's an ex-footy player and stuff. We became quite close mates over the last few years and stuff, and and I'm very fond of him. He is so bloody funny. So he could, where I could step out to make everyone drinks and, you know, be hospitable, (laughs) he could own that shit. So I could guarantee that that energy or vibe wouldn't change if he's at the table, so I count him. So he'd be one. So Peter. Peter Playford. I'd, uh, I would... I'm a I'm a jock at heart and a and a sport person. Um, so there'd be I'd love I think I'd like Michael Jordan because I think with I think with Peter and me. What's with the Lakers jersey? Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but you know, or Michael or Kobe. But you know, like I guess, like with Michael Jordan, you could you know maybe I'll change it to Kobe. All right, yeah, Lakers exactly. out. I'll change it to Kobe. <laughs> Kobe Bryant in his own right was was up there and he was a, a true athlete and a mentor and did amazing things. I'm also a massive fan of LeBron too. I, I do follow a lot of NBA. But I think one of those statues, look, everyone whinges that who's the best and stuff, forget that shit. They're all three great in their own right and I think they could all add a different level to a dinner. Mm-hmm. So I think with their elements, their stories, you know, smoking cigars on the planes and everything yeah. and stuff over the years, they all three of them have come up with something good. So either one of those guys, I didn't really answer it. So that's why I push the boundaries, always get a few more seats on the table. You know? <laughs> and then the last person, so I've got, I've got Peter Playford and then maybe Michael Jordan and then... Um, Oh, I've got a, I've got a mate. Um, you know what? No, I'm gonna say because of everything, I want to, I want to better my business. And you know, I don't get to spend a lot of time with my business partner Sohan, but we're all really close friends. So I want Sohan there too, because like we're in this together right now. We've invested so much. We've got good shit going on. So I'm gonna have Sohan with me. That's so sick. I love that. Yeah. Um, what's the last new thing you've tried? Last new thing I've tried. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, I tried. I tried. And this isn't a plug. This isn't a plug. But the other week, um, Steve Pillamer has actually come up with his own new um, um, botanical spirits called Fields. All oh, right. And it's okay. unbelievable. It's got all this, like, and I promise you, like, when you think of it, like, drinking alcohol and stuff, people are a lot more calculated with their drinking these days. People look into it, like, you know, no offense to the big guys and stuff, but where possible, I ain't drinking Smirnoff and that stuff because, like, like that's it's mass produced. You just don't know what's really going in there and stuff. And, like, there's these amazing boutique brands coming out. And, like, how nice is it supporting a little brand mm. that's not owned by a conglomerate, you know? Don't get me wrong, Smirnoff. I drank my fair share of Smirnoff blacks. <laughs> I did. And you bloody know it. So, um, you know, so I feel like Fields was amazing. Okay. So it's this, it's this spirit that him and a guy called Blake have started and it's so epic. I, I loved it. Yeah, so he gave me all the tastings with it and I was blown away because it was just so different it had like all these different, you know, minerals and, and botanicals in it and stuff that get these flavors and I was losing it. <laughs> yeah. Epic, man. Just try it. Question number four, that's you. <laughs> no, I'm just trying What's right. the last thing you can try? <laughs> um, if you could only suggest one book, what would it be? The Tipping Point. That kind of, and I'm not a big book reader. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I knew that straight away. So it was probably the first book in a long time that resonated with exactly what we spoke about before with the way of like word of mouth marketing, frontline marketing, that spreading by this person, this person saying, hey, we want a good thing, telling this person, hey, meet these guys, they're great, you know, like, and and all the rest. Um, 
So yeah, the tipping point resonated with me on that level because I think I love that expression in something, you know, like when I, some of the brand references in there, I remember the the tipping point of Zamorab, like I said mm. before. I remember the tipping point with No Standing and, and our journey too. So like it was, um, that's definitely ties in. Check that one out. I haven't heard that one before. Usually, point, yeah. usually we get like… You get a few. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a little bit older. a few double-ups with yeah. guests. Really? That, that's, yeah. a, uh, that's a one-off. See, look, I'm, I'm unorthodox, yeah. boys. No, <laughs> uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think, um, yeah, I think it falls around um, uh, respect and, 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 and kind nature and, and having, you know, um, being… Giving the right impression, you know, I've actually, it's, sometimes it sucks, but I do really care what people think about me. And I guess that that plays, that can be a positive thing. It can also be a negative thing. But because I cared what people think about me, I always wanted to give my best. Even if I was having a bad day, I thought at times, you know, maybe there was a chance that that person was having a bad day and I could change it. So I want to be that person to give, to be that change and give someone my all and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it comes around like being being respectful and giving everyone the right time of day. I know I said it so many times in this podcast, but I no, guess it's, it's the one important. thing that Incredible, sticks in man. my thing. Yeah. Mm. When you reach the pearly gates of heaven, what do you want God, being him, her, or they, to say to you when they greet you? Jeez, that was quite a ride, buddy. <laughs> 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 yeah, look, I guess, yeah. I, I wanted to say, mate, okay. <laughs> Just going through your list of projects. Uh, um, and the people, that, this, right? and the people yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the people that you reckon you know will know you, yeah. So that, the, the, geez, that was quite a ride. Oh, yeah, the, uh, we, the roller coaster needs an extension. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, mo what motivates you daily to be the best version of yourself? Um, my family. I've got I've got two um, beautiful brothers and a little sister. Um, we've got a, an unbelievable relationship and stuff. We're all super close and and we could hang out. We don't might not see each other for um, for a few days, but then we will see each other. You know, and it, nothing ever changes. Um, my mum and dad. Um, you know, um, I mean we. I'm a true product of them, even though I'm so, I'm out, my mum's my mom, my out there, my dad's a psychologist. They, when I was right. born and my personality started to form, they were like, where'd that come from? You know? <laughs> my dad can be quite conservative and stuff and my mum's also like, you know, but there's, we, we have a and little- And you're like, general Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I just think what, 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 what motivates me to, or that was the question, what was Yeah, like what, mo what motivates you to be the best, best person? Best person, yeah. um, mate. How good's life, mate? Mm. When you look outside yeah, every day man, in Australia, in Australia, like we right now, we we have we live in the best country in the mm. world. I mean, I've traveled the world and I love still love traveling. I still love going to every place. But like when you think of it, like you make the best of you you make your own life, like I said before, but you make your own life too. But we've got it so good. Mm. You know, this it's like life should be fun. You should stress less about things. Yeah. I went through stages in my life too. It hasn't all been roses, don't get me wrong. And I went through stages where I cared about everything and I got hung up about things. But I took a step back and from whatever, I don't know what the turning point of those times were, but it, you know, it happens from time to time. No, no, no day is ever 100% perfect. But I remember and I had, you know, an epiphany. I'm like, mate, okay, we live in the, one of the best cities in the world. We can travel everywhere. It's been a bit weird in the last couple of years yeah. and whatnot, but mate, it's 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 such a vibe and I'm not always looking for the next adventure, you know. Because mm. who knows, like everyone should have FOMO or what's around the corner because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Awesome, That's man. Uh, the last question, what does the word defiant mean to you? 
Oh, I think defiant um, me, to me means top of the game and leadership. Um, and I would say premium on a level. Um, you know, but if someone said to me today, well, what is defiant? What does it really mean? Or, or, or an association, I would think of you boys straight away. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but as far as, as far as it goes, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think, Premium and premium and and uh, and stern, but stern in the right right approach. You know, stern with a good attitude. Love it, man. Richie, what's clear across your entire career is your ability to adapt to market. You know, forecasting the next trends. Like the your level of energy, even during this podcast, has been insane, mate. Mm. You're insane yourself. Thanks, Absolutely please. love it. <laughs> Jeez, I talk for a lot. Didn't I? I'm a talker. Once this I get going. incredible, man. Okay, but yeah, you're, you're wanting to give back. Mm. I mean, I don't think we've ever had anyone remember every single name or every single person that they've mm. crossed paths with yeah, throughout yeah. their careers. Cool. Um, yeah, so it's been an so absolute happy. pleasure, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, boys. I, I've done a few podcasts, but that was a good vibe. Bro. You guys are awesome. I uh, really appreciate Absolutely it, man. Legend, Thanks man. so much for Cheers. coming in. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, boys. Thank you, girls. Thank you.